Hello everyone, this is Matt Para, and I'm here with my friend Bradley Moody. Yeah, and we're back together. We're back in the saddle together doing Sabbath School commentary. And we want to uh, let you know before we begin that uh, this is a, a fantastic lesson for Seventh-day Adventists. Our message involves us proclaiming to the world uh, that they should fear God and give Him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. We're all called to worship him who made. So central to the Adventist message, the three angels message, is this call to worship God as creator. And this week's Sabbath school lesson is entitled Worshiping the Lord. And we look at worship services that revolved around work that Nehemiah and the rest of the uh, remnant Israelites accomplished there in Jerusalem. So um, Brad, you wanted to kind of give some context here before we jumped into the lesson in regards to what they were what they were celebrating and commemorating and how they worshipped when they had completed certain aspects of their work. Yeah, so essentially um, a whole bunch of people take some time off after the completion of their work and rightly so they celebrate with worship. So we have two stories that we're focusing in on in this Sabbath school lesson for this week. One in 515 BC, where they celebrated the dedication of the new temple that they had essentially constructed. Yep. And then 60 years later, when uh, Nehemiah and his crew uh, finished building the wall in record time, um, 52 days, they, they smash it out. And then they have a massive celebration to worship God and to celebrate the fact that they have accomplished a great work by the hand of their good Lord that was upon them, as the verse says yeah. in Nehemiah. The worship services that the lesson is emphasizing are dedicatory services where the people of God stop and they dedicate the finished work that they accomplished through the power of God to the Lord. We're finished with the temple. We're going to dedicate it to God. We're finished with the wall. And now we're going to dedicate it to God. And we're going to worship God in that yeah. process. And I think this is powerful because it shows a sense that everything belongs to God. Mm. And what we build is for God's glory. Yeah. And what our work, whatever we complete, we dedicate our completed efforts yeah. to God. So we do our part, we serve Him, we follow Him, and really ultimately it's Him working through us. We know that, but when we complete a work, we stop and we look to God and we say, God, we, we dedicate this to you. You build a church building, um, you, you do uh, whatever you know the work is that God calls us to do, and it's dedicated then to the Lord. It basically just focuses the attention of the services that are therein to be held on yep. God and His work in their lives. That's the thing. It just realigns their attention back mm -hmm. to God. Yes. Therefore, as a glory to His name through yeah. the service. So let's jump into Sunday's lesson. We're going to read a passage of Scripture here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 29. Sunday's lesson begins by pointing our attention to this text. And uh, do you want to read that for us, Brad? So in Nehemiah chapter 12 and verses 27 through to 29, it says these words. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from yeah, the villages of the Netaphathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba, 
and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And I'm just going to read verse 30 as well. It says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. I find it really interesting uh, the way it articulates it as very plainly full of joy, thanksgiving and singing and gladness. Everyone's happy in the service of the Lord when they're worshipping as a celebration. And it strikes me to the heart where I recognize oftentimes when I enter the worship service, I don't come with joy or thanksgiving quite to the same extent as these guys were obviously full of thanksgiving and gladness. Yeah. Oftentimes I come with my little mopes or I come with, you know, just a, an attitude of uh, going through the motions. Whereas this is a rebuke to myself and, and a lot of other people who, who come with the same attitude of just complacency, I guess. It's not that I'm actively, um, you know, disrespecting the worship service or, or coming with a heavy heart or, or whatnot. Um, but it's just that I don't find the same joy that these guys are expressing. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we can all learn a lesson that we need to, obviously, as we'll get into in just a few moments in one of the other day's lessons, prepare ourselves to uh, engage with the worship service. It's not something that we can just take lightly. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can just do as going through the motions, complacently, yeah. as it were. I was thinking uh, about how they have just finished a great work. Mm. Uh, God called them to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the temple, and that's, that's been accomplished. Mm. And now it's time to celebrate. And so they had something, a spiritual victory in a way. Yeah. Uh, they had really accomplished something. And I think it would have been pretty easy for them to celebrate, right? Because it's like, God, look what God did. We're going to commit this to the Lord as an acknowledging, as a way to acknowledge the fact that, that really He did this through mm-hmm. us. And uh, hey, this is awesome. And in, in my life as a follower of Jesus, I uh, you know, have had circumstances where, say, in evangelism, We've worked really, really hard to bring someone to a knowledge of the truth, you mm. know, and we're partnering with the Holy Ghost. We're testifying of the truth. Um, and, you know, it's weeks, sometimes it's months and someone, you know, it, it all comes together. Mm. Right. The Lord puts together all the pieces and they see the truth as it is in Jesus to the, to the extent that they're going to commit their life to him or join the movement. And then it's like, OK. Let's celebrate, man. Like that's, yeah. It's time because we've got a real reason to celebrate. And I think this example of Scripture calls us all to the fact that when there's something to celebrate, you should celebrate. You should yeah. be happy. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think um, we've got to be careful. We, we've just got to, I would just say, I've learned this, that we've got to be careful not pretending that we have something to celebrate when we don't, right? And, and I'll be back before I gave my life to the, to the Lord, uh, my friends and I, we would party for no reason. You know, it's like you're in debt. Mm-hmm. Your relationships are falling apart. You uh, don't know where you're going in life. You're confused. You don't know your purpose. You're just living life like an animal. And then you party all the time and celebrate. And you're like, woo, yeah, party. We're, we're going to party. You know, and it's like, wait a second, man. What do you have to party for? You know, you're, yeah. it, maybe what you should do is take serious stock of yourself and your life and cry a little bit. And get yourself together. And then once you get yourself together, I'm just speaking from the standpoint yeah. of an unconverted person. Yep. Once you get yourself together, you get some runs on the board. Okay, celebrate, you know? So um, the verse that comes to my mind is there's a time. Ecclesiastes 3, 
message. You know, there's a time to die, a time to give birth, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear. It goes down to say a time to weep mm-hmm. and a time to rejoice. laugh and to rejoice, you yeah. know. And so here we see the people of God at a time to rejoice. And sometimes we have this question as Adventists, like, is it okay to celebrate and worship and all that stuff? My, my answer to that is absolutely when yeah. you have something to celebrate. Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. always we have Jesus to celebrate, 100%. There's that element of joy in all that we do because we have the Son of God on mm-hmm. our side. Mm-hmm. And if He's for us, who can be against us? But practically speaking, in our own personal lives, sometimes we're not connected. And it's a time to, to really commit and to not mm-hmm. be just, you know, celebratory in the yep. things that we do. It's time to be serious. And so I think it's just a balance is what yeah. this calls me to personally. Yep. In the book of John, chapter 4, uh, where Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well, right, um, who has a very different style, perhaps, of worship and a very different um, uh, way of worshiping comparative to the, the Jews. And yeah. he's having this discussion with her and, and he's trying to draw her attention to him being the Messiah and she keeps trying to deviate the topic. You might remember the story. Yes. And, and he essentially says to her, woman, you guys don't really know how or what you're worshiping. Um, salvation right. is from the Jews, right? We've, we've got something worth worshipping. But there's a verse there that's really profound there. He says that God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is what strikes me as interesting with this particular verse. Like, it's, it's kind of like um, as, as Adventists, sometimes we can worship God with truth, but without the spirit. Not in the spirit, yep. right? And then other times um, there are people that are bereft of the truth that can worship God with all the enthusiasm and the energy that we're yes. seeing here in the book of Nehemiah, yes. right? With all the spirit. They have the right attitude, the right disposition, <laughs> right the right spirit. Exactly yeah. right, right? And, 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 and what you're essentially saying and what we're trying to point out here is that there's a time for everything. Um, but the ideal is that we marry the two together and that we come to God in recognition of the truth that we are frail and faulty sinners, but that He is a benevolent God. And then in the spirit that, that, that we have something worth worshipping him for. Mm. You know, the spirit and the truth. Let's somehow find that balance through worshipping cool. God. Yeah, man, that's cool. I kind of see that as an adjacent point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not directly following from it. So it's like point number one that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you're saying, by the way. We're not going to have a fight here, everyone. Don't worry. Um, but I was thinking, you know, you've got the whole idea of uh, approaching God with joy and merriment mm-hmm. and just with a, with a full happy heart right uh, and then there's a time to approach God with fasting and and we see that at the beginning of our of our commentary series on the book of Nehemiah we would see them fasting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they've got this magnificent work ahead of them and it's overwhelming and challenging and they got all these adversaries you know rising to oppose them and it's not like celebration fun and, and, and happiness yeah it's serious tough difficult like preparation for the Super Bowl that just happened in the U.S. Or it's going to happen soon in the U.S., I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm lost to American football. But but the, those teams, they practice hard. Practice is not fun. Uh, games are sometimes not fun. But when you win, yeah, you celebrate, right? So there's yeah. different approaches at different times. And so you're, I would just say that's a point to me. That's a lesson to me. And then you're kind of like extending out of that a really good point of um, – of not just having truth, but having the, the spirit, hmm. the right attitude, and then not just having the right spirit, but having the truth and combining that together. Getting that balance. Yeah, yeah there's a connection there. Yeah. Uh, I'm super excited to talk about Monday's lesson. It's on purification. So the people, it says in Nehemiah 12.30, they, as well as the Levites, they purify themselves. Mm. 
uh, before they worship and they purify the gate of the city. Uh, and I, I just think that there's a lot to this. Hmm. Before the celebration begins, before the worship service begins, you've got those who are conducting the services, the Levites, purifying themselves. You've got the wall itself being purified, what they're dedicating to God, uh, and the people who are mm. worshiping. I, I don't know if you wanted to comment on this first, but the, the thought that I had was, he's shaking his head, no, everyone. Uh, the thought that I had <laughs> was that we go to worship and we want to, we hope to, get a blessing. We want to walk away with clean hearts and clean hands and clean minds and just feeling free and at peace with God through the blood of the Son. And we want to feel connected to our fellow worshipers. We, we just want to receive a blessing. I think sometimes when we, we go to church and don't receive a blessing, it's because we didn't prepare mm. our hearts and our minds before we came. Right. And I think this purification, whatever it, specifically it was, you know, this ceremony of purification, I don't know if it was a washing of your hands or I, I, I don't know. I haven't researched this recently. I don't know this. But it represents the people preparing themselves yeah. to worship God. Yeah. And it teaches us that when you're in the right place, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you're going to get more. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that, that, that's true, right? In almost yeah. any relational situation, like mm -hmm. we want a relationship with God, so I prepare myself before I go to worship Him and mm -hmm. sing songs to Him and listen to messages from speakers and and hear testimonies from my fellow yep. believers. Um, yeah, if I'm right, you know, if I've before the worship service really kind of put my game face on mm -hmm. and thought I'm going to worship God, you know, I don't have to go through some you know ritualistic purification service. But I could say a, a, a sincere, genuine prayer that yeah. I would be a, a blessing to those around me in the worship and that I would really have the heart to worship God yeah. when I'm with my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's kind of like how I was looking at it when I was reading these texts was the purification is kind of like fasting in the sense that when, when they're fasting, they're becoming hungry. And sometimes when I've got a really big meal on, like Christmas lunch or something like that, I'll skip breakfast, right? As preparation, right? And you enjoy that meal so cool. much more when your heart is, is, is ready for it, when, you, when your stomach's ready for it, rather. But in this context, your heart is ready for the worship service, right? Yes. You've, you've emptied yourself of all the distractions. You've spent some time in meditation and prayer. Look, I'm just going to set my heart right with God so that I am ready to receive the blessing and ready to be the blessing because my mind is clear and I can worship with a clean, clear heart with yes. focus and purpose. But I think in this particular context, there's, there's two different types of purification. Because there's one, yes, like they, they purify themselves um, prior to the worship service. But I actually think that there's an element of purification that does come through. And you alluded to it just briefly in your statements just before, that there is a purification that comes through the worship service as well. Like as, and, and, and this is highlighted with what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 10 where he talks about it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of a man, right? And for a long time there, this particular verse baffled me, right? And this will make sense as I'll draw it back to the point in a second, right? The, it originally baffled me because I didn't understand what he meant when it's some, the words somehow defile us. Well, that doesn't really make too much sense. And then he makes some a point about it um, being connected to the, the heart of evil or whatnot, um, being the stem of where these words come from. Mm -hmm. But I realized um, recently when I was studying those particular verses that 
what Jesus is saying is that your words become how you think. And there's been a lot of research out recently with the way you talk um, determines the, the disposition of your, your, your makeup. In other words, you, you become the way you talk. So those people that talk with joy and are constantly focusing on the positive, those people that are constantly focusing on, 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 on the good things in life generally tend to be happier people. They generally end up with bigger smiles on their face. They end up healthier because their focus is on um, life and, 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 and being a blessing, which is what we're all you know, designed to be. My point is simply this, when we come to the worship service, and even if we're not necessarily feeling 100% up to it, if we sing as if we believe it, it will have an effect on us. And internally, like internally, God has actually given us creative power in that sense, right? Yes. Where he says something and it is done. Mm-hmm. When we say things, it has an effect, right? right. In our brain, it, it, it recreates our brain. It actually rewires the neural pathways as has been discovered by science most recently. Yeah. Um, and, and that's basically the point that realistically, the way we speak, the way we worship will have a tell on the kind of people that we become. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's powerful, man. I love what you're saying. So just to recap, it's, it's good practice mm. to prior to going to a corporate worship service of any yes kind, whether it's a joyous service or a serious service or whatever, to, pure, to, to get your heart in the right space. Yeah, for sure. To get yourself in the right emotional and mental space that mm-hmm. might involve you even just thinking about it, right? Yeah. Like as you're driving to church, considering personally, what kind of a worshiper am I going to be today? Yeah. Am I going to be the person in the church service who's uh, looking around at every noise that I hear? Mm. Or am I going to fix my eyes on the preacher as they preach the message and listen intently as if I'm being spoken to by Jesus because Jesus right. says, whoever hears you, hears me. Yes. Right. And he sent this, he ordained that I'm here now and I'm listening to this message. And so I'm going to listen as if God might speak mm-hmm. to me today yep. with expectation and, yes. and in, uh, intention. Yep. Like I'm intending to hear something. I'm listening. And then when I sing, I'm going to stand in front of the Lord, right on. God Almighty, yep. and I'm going to sing. And I think if you, if you, even just think about it on the way to church. Like, yeah. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to worship God. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that will put you in a better headspace. And if you had 15 people in your church showing up like that, mm. wouldn't that dramatically affect the rest of yeah. the church? Because I know whenever I'm next to someone in worship and they're singing and I can look at them and I can just see they don't give a rip about me. Like, you know, they love me, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, but they yeah. don't, they're not worrying about what, they, what I think right. of them. Or, yeah. And I can see... This person's just almost like unflinchingly singing to God. Right. Yeah, I love that. Man, it just affects me. And I'm like, amen. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Mm-hmm. That's why we're here. We're here to sing together. We're here yeah. to testify together. Mm-hmm. And uh, that spirit is, is, is awesome. So the worship experience ex- is itself purifies us yeah. in that. So I want to read you an Ellen White quote. Go for it. That is exactly saying what you're saying about how your words affect your mind. This is from Mind, Character, and Personality, page 420. And Ellen White says, uh, this is powerful. It is a law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged and strengthened as we give them utterance. While words express thoughts, it's also true that thoughts follow words. Mm. If we would give more expression to our faith, rejoice more in the blessings that we know we have, the great mercy and love of God, we should have more faith and greater right joy. Yes. That's awesome. Love it. So she's saying, yeah, it's true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but it's also true. As your mouth speaks, 
you're impressing yourself yeah. and your own mind. Mm -hmm. So with your will you speak and if you're negative, and yeah, just like you said, man. Mm. And listen to this. This is a quote from George Orwell, the great American essayist. He, in, in, in an essay called Politics in the English Language, he, he says, uh, just in regards to language and how it's used, he says, an effect can become a cause. An effect can become a cause, reinforcing the original cause and producing the same effect in an intensified form. Yeah, that's... So let's just say, the cause of my bad day is... Someone mistreated me. So then I overexpress that. There's nothing wrong with expressing it, right? Like, oh, yeah. someone hurt my feelings. Okay, that's fine. But if I overexpress it and I choose to then have a bitter, negative yeah. spirit and disposition, okay, that effect of an original cause becomes a cause itself. With emphasis. With emphasis. And it, it magnifies yeah. the original cause. And I kind of perpetuate and magnify mm -hmm. the bad. But the same can be true to the opposite. opposite. Right on. So positivity... Uh, goodness, joy, whatever, if expressed, it becomes a, a cause itself, mm -hmm. although it's in the effect of God's goodness. And then he goes on to say, And so on indefinitely, a man may take to drinking because he feels himself to be a failure and then fail all the more completely because he drinks. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that something? Exactly. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. So when we go to worship, it's like that's affecting our brains. So yeah. if we've been prepared for worship, a pr properly mm -hmm. and then we worship properly it's like this magnifying effect this multiplication yeah. effect of just praise and yeah. goodness and, and the devil wants to stop that for sure yeah and I love um, you just highlighted it how there's this person standing next to you in the worship service and they are just singing with their heart out like it doesn't matter who's around them or whatnot and it reminds me of a story and I can't, couldn't find the reference before we started, but um, uh, it was a, a vision that somebody had. I can't recall whether it was Ellen White or not, but somebody had this vision and their mind was drawn to the worship service. Everyone was singing this hymn and they were singing it with you know all the energy that they could and everyone sounded beautiful, but her in, in, in vision, um, her attention was drawn to this one little lady in the back mm. who was singing out of tune, and was not hitting the notes, but she was singing with everything she had, right? And it was yeah. a discordant note, right? But the the voice that came to the person in vision was, this is the only person in this room whose worship I accept. And it's more about the heart than yeah. it is about your sound, right? And this person that's standing next to you in the worship service, they might sound horrible, right? But if they're singing with the absolute sincerity of heart, um, and the intention to glorify God with whatever voice they've been given, then praise His name all the more. Mm. Uh, and that's so good. I think we need to take stock of that as part of the preparation for approaching the worship service. We need to recognize that it doesn't matter if we're, we're singing like the angels or not. We need to strive um, to, to, um, to glorify God with as much as we can possibly muster. Mm. We shouldn't be insecure uh, and worried about what people are going to think of us uh, in the worship context. Yeah. We should be worshiping God with sincerity, with, well, I guess, spirit and in truth. We're, we're on to Tuesday's lesson, which is entitled Two Large Thanksgiving Choirs. And Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 31 through 42, point out that they, they the, the, Nehemiah, when they were dedicating the wall, the completed wall of Jerusalem, they would have uh, two choirs set up, or not set up, but they'd have two choirs uh, assembled, and those assemblies would, would actually march in opposite directions around the city, and then meet at one particular point. And uh, 
I don't have a lot of you know, insight that God has given me devotionally from, from this, but I wanted to say that it really speaks to me of the power of, of ceremony. We often steer away from ceremonial practices. Not everyone, but to a large extent, I've experienced in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we want to be very careful and guarded against ceremonialism mm. or formalism. And that's okay. That's good. I think we should be really, uh, you know, wary to not become formalists who just go through ritualistic kind of services and ceremonies. But at the same time, there is a place for ceremony. Uh, Mm. One of the most, some of the most meaningful worship experiences and most profoundly spiritual experiences I've ever had are at weddings Mm. and at funerals. Yeah. And I I think that in those really deeply happy Mm -hmm. and deeply painful times, people are more inclined to have kind of ceremonial like worshipful kind of mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. I say ceremonial worshipful services. I just mean have ceremony in their worship yeah. at the time and whatever they're doing. And I think it's because at that time they're willing to be like sentimental. Yeah. And uh, and they, they, they just want to do whatever is in their power to do. Yeah. To commemorate and make special the event. Mm-hmm. So my mom dies, my dad dies, my cousin dies, my brother dies. And I want to commemorate in the in the most beautiful way that I can yeah. the life of this loved one and so I will I would sit and try to come up with the most um, touching ceremonial practice you know yeah. I, I was in the United States Navy and uh, my dad was in the US Army my stepdad was in the United States Marine Corps my grandfather on my dad's side was in the US Navy in World War II his dad was in the US Navy in World War One. so it's mm-hmm. like all these war my, my whole going back like six generations they're all people who served in, in combat and war and uh, I've been to a lot of military funerals in the ceremonial kind of service that they have man it's it's just it's hard to watch it and not weep yeah. um, so let's say that my so at my stepdad's funeral you had the marine whatever they call the honor guard or something it's the people who do ceremony for funerals and they have certain ways that they march and uniforms that they wear and ways that they carry their gun and they do like salutes with the guns they call it a seven gun salute and so where they depending on the rank of the the fallen marine or the fallen soldier they'll they'll shoot into the sky a certain amount of times and they'll uh it's just it's just beautiful so let's just you're just in this space where these men are are just marching in in a line and there's the casket and there's the grieving you know wife or widow and the men just are moving very methodically very slowly Mm, very ritualistically mm, mm. and then they get up in a line and then someone says ready aim and they shoot into the sky and it's everyone's crying and you hear the gunfire and and then they mark they, they walk over they stand over the grave they fold an american flag in the most meticulous way and they're so delicate with the flag and then they take the flag and they uh, go to the woman and they hand the flag, which is a symbol of the nation that their husband pledged their life to defend. Mm. And these, these fellow warriors, defenders of the nation, hand the flag to the woman. And then they stand in front of the wife and they salute. Mm. It's just, oh, it's just mm. piercing and emotional. Yeah. And, and that ceremony, it highlights... Um, 
the dignity of that man's service. Yeah. It highlights the appreciation of a nation. Mm-hmm. It encapsulates emotion and meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just this, this ceremony that we see here of these musicians marching around the city, it, it says something that's yeah. profound and deep and emotional and beautiful. And so, yeah, I think that a little bit of ceremony uh, should be dashed into our worship mm-hmm. from time to time. And uh, I think this is the job and work of creative people. Uh, mm-hmm. Oftentimes we have people who are very creative and artistic in our midst. And uh, they, I think God, is call, God, God calls them to lend us their talent and, and their ability to create ceremonial expressions of worship and you know of course we can get weird and, and you know yeah it's and wonky with this kind of stuff but at the same time um it's it's beautiful yeah um, uh, that's a long way to say ceremony can be really great <laughs> no, that, that was actually a really powerful thought like um and it puts it into perspective you see like um originally our pioneers shied away from too much organization which is essentially what you're saying there is this is like organized worship service which you know sometimes can revert to formalism and become empty and and, right. and rigmarole, rigmarole oh but this isn't what what uh, when it loses its meaning it becomes idolatry right yeah, yeah when it becomes a traditional service but in actual fact no yeah. like like order and uh, organization is in, in in the nature of who God is mm-hmm. um, and that's what you see when when you're telling that story like it, you can't not have your emotions evoked mm-hmm. you know like uh, when you recognize the import and, and the impact of what's going on in that moment and I feel like it's the same with like I was saying the pioneers they shied away from organization because of the 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 negative effects of organized religion prior to them becoming Protestants mm-hmm. um, but in the in in their later years they realized that no organization is God's ideal um, and that it's just the twisted form that's led to the, the the negative impact the point is that in this context we have the the organized worship mm-hmm. which has its place to bring us into the presence of God all the more and I wanted to read a quote uh, in line with that from councils for the church page 172 it says music forms a part of God's worship in the courts above, and we should endeavor in our songs of praise to approach as nearly as possible to the harmony of the heavenly choirs. Mm-hmm. The proper training of the voice is an important feature in education and should not be neglected. Singing as a part of religious service is as much a part of an act of worship as is prayer. The heart must feel the spirit of the song and give it right expression. Now, this is focusing specifically on um, singing, singing, but in, in a corporate sense, like choirs yes. uh, that are in harmony, there's nothing that moves you quite like that. Totally. Right. And, and the, I love how balanced <laughs> the perspective is on what kind of music we should be yes. worshipping with. And it's that music that would take your mind to heavenly places. Yes. It's that music that elevates and ennobles our, 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 our perspective towards God, lifts us up to Him, not brings Him down to us. And uh, we won't get into like, you know, worship styles and, and arguments along those lines, but I just feel like the music that is conducive to uh, growth and character is that which um, uplifts and ennobles. Mm-hmm. There is this church, and this is the last thing I, I want to say on this day. I went, I attended this church called the New Westminster Seventh-day Adventist Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. And 
It was a multicultural church, a lot of Eastern Europeans, Africans, uh, West Indians. Um, yeah, just a really diverse church community. Uh, wonderful Adventist believers, so passionate about the mission, you know, and they were just a great church. And every single Sabbath, to begin their worship, they would uh, have, it was, it was just so cool, it was a little piece of ceremony. You, you would, uh, someone would walk out and, and acquire kind of robe, it was a Caribbean kind of a thing, you know, the Caribbeans like to wear their yeah. you know, holy robes and stuff, and it was kind of nice. And she'd walk out, and she'd say in the most sweet West Indian accent, she'd say, please, Wendy, you know, I can't do it, I'll stop. Uh, when the people, when she'd say, when the choir comes out and sings, please stay seated. And until the elders walk out, and then please kneel. That's all she'd say, like just little instructions for the visitors and whatever. And then she'd walk away. The choir would come in, just to silence in the congregation. The choir comes in, and they would start to play a song. And someone would start on the piano, just playing, and the choir would just sit there. And it'd be beautiful, some kind of just beautiful sounding music. It'd be different every Sabbath. And then a woman would get up, and she would read a poem. And she'd write a new poem every Sabbath. And so you're sitting there. The worship has begun. No one said anything except for they've instructed you to stand up when the elders and the pastor walk out onto the podium, onto mm -hmm. the platform. So there's this choir up there, and there's music playing, and there's a person from the choir reading a poem. And it was always very beautiful. And it was always like her speaking to God. Mm -hmm. Like, Lord, we come here because you've given us all we've ever had. You are the Father of lights, and you've given us every perfect gift. You've given us our children and our, you know what, and our husbands and our wives. And mm -hmm. we come here to praise you. We love you for your forgiveness, for your goodness. And, and she's talking to God, and she's a mm -hmm. beautiful thing. And the music is playing, which makes it nice, too. Mm. And then the choir would kind of start to hum in and chime in, but they wouldn't be singing yet. And every Sabbath, they would sing the song, Here I Am to Worship. Mm. And they would always intentionally sing it, like, really calmly. You know, light of the world, you came. And just really calm, really calm. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the elders would come out right when they would say, and here I am to worship. And so here comes the elders and the pastor walking out on the, onto the podium. And then immediately everyone stands up. And then when they get out on the podium, they stand there and they stare at the audience. And then they kneel down. So everyone in the church is standing up saying, here I am to worship after this beautiful poem with this beautiful music. And then the, the elders are standing, sitting there on their knees with their heads bowed before God. And you're singing. Here I am to worship, man. It was awesome, man. Hmm. Just yeah. a little bit of ceremony. That's ceremony. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just emphasizes. And so I want to appeal to Sabbath school leaders and teachers. Uh, when, you, when you're a Sabbath school superintendent at church, you know, be creative. Do some stuff like that. Have some scripture readings with music and a powerful mm -hmm. testimony. Mm -hmm. and add that. a little ceremony in there. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Well, we better get to the next day's lesson because this is going to be a long commentary. So moving along into Wednesday's lesson, and we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43. Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 43. And it says, And they offered great sacrifice that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, the people come, they've, they've prepared their hearts for worship. They've just had this, you know, amazing like presentation with the, the, the choirs that are singing. And then, and then it says that they, they, they offered great sacrifices that day. Um, and with great joy that was heard from afar away. 
Um, and I just love that. Like it's like it's like allegorical for their worship service extending to the regions beyond, right? And and it's something that I think we can all take stock of. Like this is what our worship is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a means of spreading joy to the surrounding regions. And that was just one point that came to my mind as I was reading through that. Um, but talking about their great sacrifices, I mean, specifically uh, when I think great sacrifices in the biblical terms like old testament style i'm thinking sacrifices of lambs and like animals and this kind of thing and i kind of feel a little bit removed from that you know because now we've got jesus as our great sacrifice um but i kind of feel like sometimes looking at that like comparing them actually bringing along a little lamb and feeling the sacrifice when they're taking the lamb's life right everyone's coming and bringing all their sacrifices you can feel the the emotion of the moment but when we say, I kind of feel like sometimes we cop out by saying, oh yeah, but we've got the great Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We don't need to stress about sacrifice and, yeah. and, and these kinds of things. And it kind of like bypasses the sacrifice effect. Um, and that's something that I haven't really um, been able to reconcile perfectly in my own spirituality. Um, but I know that there's other examples of sacrifice here um, referred to sacrifices of their time and sacrifice of their energy and sacrifice of all their like their grain and, and all their monetary forms whereas we come with our monetary form and that's pretty much about it yeah. um, but at the same time like I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that Romans 12 calls us to an even greater form of sacrifice yeah. um, but how serious do we take that? The Romans 12 um, sacrifice that I'm referring to, I'll read the verse. It says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. And just following along with that thought, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Um, so whatever you do, whether you drink or whether you eat, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. May everything that you do be an act of worship. Yeah. Um, and that's a much, I guess, greater sacrifice to than what the Israelites were called to with bringing their lambs and, and all those things. And I, I still think God calls us to that uh, more than perhaps we do. But um, how would you say that we actually present our bodies as a living sacrifice, Matt? Uh, yeah, listen, I think that to obey God is to disobey yourself. And, if, and Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. So uh, following Jesus requires self-denial, self-sacrifice. Mm. And uh, that require, and you're disobeying yourself, your natural inclinations. And uh, you have to die to who you were born mm. to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus is contrary to your nature. Yeah. So I would say being a living sacrifice is walking by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith in the promises of God, mm. following the word of God, accepting the will of God for your life and submitting to it, and uh, disobeying yourself. Yeah. Uh, that's making yourself, that's sacrificing yourself mm. um, for the sake of Jesus. And um, it's living, and, and you could even summarize by saying it's having an authentic, a genuine relationship with God, yeah, a right. real relationship yeah. where He is Lord mm. and you are saved servant. And, uh, and disciple and follower. Yeah. Uh, you leave your fishing nets, you go. You, you follow the lamb wherever he yeah. is. Um, lots of ways to say it, but essentially it's, it's you uh, sacrifice yourself uh, yeah. to follow Jesus. Um, I wanted to say that there's an Ellen White quote I read the other day in the book, Child Guidance, because I have three little boys, and it's a fantastic compilation. I really get chafed when people bag on the compilations of Ellen White. And talk about how the compilations are, oh, that's out of context and this and that. But they usually don't read the compilations sufficiently to know 
that the compilers of those quotes balance out each quote with quotes that share other ha- other parts of truth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, some are probably less balanced than others. But Child Guidance, I have found to be so balanced and so beautiful and so helpful. And Ellen White talks in there about having what she calls a sacrifice tree. Hmm. And she says that periodically in a family, when you're going to spend money on something, but you receive a conviction of the Holy Spirit that you don't need it, that you should hang it on a money tree. And she calls it a sacrifice tree. Hmm. It's a tree of sacrifice. It's like a little, you know, Christmas tree in your house, but it's not, but, you know, it's not a Christmas tree. It's just a tree that's there, like a little, I don't know what it would be, but um, maybe a little plant. And you think, well, I want X, Y, Z. I don't need it. Well, why don't I commit this to God? Why don't I commit this to the church and its ministries? Why don't I commit this to, Hmm. you know, the youth department of the Hmm. North New South Wales Conference or I'll commit this to Avondale College's, you know, whatever, you know, a ministry that God's convicted me of. And it hangs there as a memorial to the fact that, no, no, we're sacrificing this for God. And, um, and, uh, and really ultimately, I wanted wanted to say this too. Um, This is just a larger point. I think it's, you know, Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The more you sacrifice for God, the more your heart is on God's side. At the same time, it's important, I think, for us to realize that everything we sacrifice for God is not a sacrifice because he never asks us to sacrifice anything that's not for our good. That, that's that's for our good to keep or that's not for our good to let go of. Yeah, exactly. So I, th- I say things like, oh, I gave up my former career for God. Like, okay, now what's that in comparison to the eternal glories of the kingdom of heaven? Like, <laughs> you know, come on. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I left... I left my old friendships. What, the ones that were dysfunctional and abusive? Like, filled with drugs and, and ridiculousness? Like, you know, no, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I sacrificed, you know, I've sacrificed. I always find it just, like, a bit ironic when people talk about all that they sacrificed for, for God. And it's true. God honors us for sacrificing for yeah. Him. And, it, and, hey, we're born evil, so it's hard to let go of evil. But if we think rationally and logically and biblically... I think we'll be able to stand back and say, oh yeah, all I sacrifice for God is like garbage compared to the gold that he gives me. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah, even yeah. if in this world the things we sacrifice for God are highly esteemed and precious, in the light of eternity, they're nothing. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. Peter says in First Peter, he says, you know, something to the effect, I won't quote the verse, it's around verse 18 and 19, he says, um, for you are not redeemed mm-hmm. with corruptible things like gold and silver. Uh, you were purchased with the incorruptible blood of Christ. Right. And and he even kind of says in that passage about how you received this these ideas that the possession of silver and gold are valuable things to possess, but he's like you just received that from the traditions of your fathers. Mm. Like that's just it's just inhumanity to think that material wealth is is something I to be striven really. for. And yeah. and you know if God calls you to wealth, praise God. And that's awesome, but generally speaking, I mean, he calls us to eternity. And yeah, that's the that's the treasure. Whatever you sacrifice for that is like whatever. I'm just yeah, thinking like whatever. <clears throat> I'm just thinking of um, uh, when Ellen White um, has a vision of heaven and she gets approached by I think it's Wagner and another um, uh, of the saints that had fallen asleep or something like that. Anyway, they came up to her and they say, you know, tell us about what you endured and what happened while we were, while we were asleep. And she says at that moment, they tried to recall what it was that they had endured. But when compared to everything that they were then experiencing in heaven, yes. it all just fell away. It was like, it was like it were, we couldn't bring it to remembrance. It was just so far surpassed by the glories of the moment, yeah. um, just being in that, that one moment in heaven. Amen. Um, and I think um, 
just moving along from that into Thursday's lesson, um, we're, we're, we're focusing in on the priests and Levites as a part of worship. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, what, you know, how is that something that we can apply to ourselves? How is that relevant? Like, you know, the, the priests, everyone had their, their particular place and, you know, the whole service was organized and, and, and the Levites were, were a specific part in the program. And um, as I was contemplating it, obviously, you know, we have Jesus as our representative um, in heaven. So these priests and everyone all represent um, who Jesus is mm-hmm. for us as, yes. as a whole. Um, and then he calls us to be priests, mm-hmm. that everything that we do in life, um, whether, um, you know, eating or drinking, as we we're talking about before, um, whatever we're doing in life is an act of worship yes. as we sacrifice those things on the altar for God to glorify mm. his name through us. Right? Powerful. And it's kind of, it, it reminds me back where we hear of how they're worshiping and the, the sound of their worship sort of extends to yes. the regions beyond. And it's kind of like when we come to worship God as priests, we're all priests. I think Peter's the one that talks about that, mm. um, that we're all priests. <clears throat> we carry um, uh, the responsibility of representing the character of Jesus, just as he came to represent the character of God here on earth. We then carry it as we would carry our worship experience, which is, I think, the idea of, of um, con- um, congregations worshipping together, you know, corporate worship, taking that worship experience into our day-to-day life and yep. carrying the joy that we experience so that it then becomes the light as we yep. represent the character of Jesus in our world around us. Awesome. And you can extend the word. Yeah, I love that, man. That's a powerful point. So you're on a hike. You can be worshiping. Right. Right, you're you're doing some community service with the church on a Sunday, Sabbath afternoon. You're worshiping. It's, a, it's an act of worship, and I think that when you can live a life that is worship, it brings life more to life. <laughs> yeah, it animates life. life. More abundant, it brings maybe. it more color. It brings it more meaning, mm. and it's awesome. Praise God, man, for that point. I think it's awesome. I, you know, I wanted to say that the priests. They represented Jesus, as you say, and Hebrews 9, the lesson points out, mm. articulates that very beautifully, how they served as a type and as shadow yeah. for a more substantive and a more real tabernacle ministry uh, in the heavenly sanctuary, the true tabernacle, which God pitched and not man. Mm. And so there is a true tabernacle in heaven within which we have a high priest named Jesus Christ the righteous, and he intercedes on our behalf there in that sanctuary. And that sanctuary has to be more true, more real uh, than the earthly shadow. Hmm. And so Adventists, I, you know, we stand firm on this as a denomination. Yeah. And although there are some in our midst who unfortunately deny this fundamental Adventist teaching, hmm. which is kind of shameful in my estimation, uh, if the Bible says that Jesus is the minister in Hebrews 8, uh, 1 through 4, of the true tabernacle, of the true tabernacle, which mm. God erected and not man. Okay, now you can say that that thing, well, you, you know, it's true. That's not, and there's no earthly tabernacle that could perfectly represent that because all the earthly tabernacles and priestly services were just representative. Yep. And what represents is never going to represent perfectly, right? Uh, something can be made, you know, like a human being. Human beings were made in the image of God, but they, they don't, per, you know, mm. they, they can reflect God. Like in, part, in their Edenic yeah. beauty, but they're still not like God, okay? Yeah. Uh, you can look at them. You can't look at God and live according to, you know, God's communication with mm. Moses, right? Um, not in our state, at least. Anyway, so my basic point is something can re- reflect 
eternal realities. And it's not going to perfectly tell you what those things look like, right? Mm -hmm. So we know that the priestly intercessory work of the earthly priests, that it's a shadow, it's a type. It kind of gives us an understanding. It doesn't tell us precisely, specifically, exactly what Jesus' ministry in heaven looks like. Mm -hmm. It just gives us a general understanding. And it's also true that the temple on earth, it didn't perfectly represent, you know, like what could on this earth perfectly represent a heavenly tabernacle. But the Bible says that the heavenly sanctuary and the priestly ministry ministry of Jesus it's the true Mm. and so you can't deny the fact that the true is the true and the true has to be more real more substantive more actual than what it what just reflects it these Levites were celebrated and I'm sure they weren't perfect why would you celebrate an imperfect Levite because of what his ministry represents. represents yeah absolutely so do I respect church leaders Absolutely. And I don't say this as a departmental director in a conference office, right? Yeah. Like I'm spiritually manipulating people to respect me. Not at all. Because when I was a volunteer servant of the Adventist church making nothing, I honored my leadership. Whether I knew they were sinful or making mistakes or not, Mm -hmm. because of what they represented. And so uh, they can be fallen and flawed, but I still regard highly the position that they fill because they're representative in nature in, in that they're under shepherds for Jesus. Absolutely. And they're not Levitical priests. We don't have that old covenant kind of priestly model. We have representatives of the body who serve us in a pastoral capacity. Mm-hmm. And, but we do honor those positions because they're under shepherds for Jesus. And I think yeah. that's an important thing to, to keep in mind. And that reflects in our, the lesson brings out our tithe giving. Mm. Um, oftentimes Adventists have a real problem with the use of their tithe funds. And uh, they'll say, well, I don't don't see the point. I don't see the use. This president's corrupt. That person's this. That's this. You know, you hear this stuff. And I'm just speaking very plainly because it just gets out there. We need need to come on, like, wake up. People say these things. Um, But I always think to myself, tithe is not yours to choose about where you give it. It's it's returning your tithe. And it's for the support of the the, the church, uh, which is the foundation. It's, it's 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 the... it's the foundation of the truth. It's the church of the living God, you know. Um, and if you deprive the church of tithe, you are in essence disrespecting those who paid tithe before you, whose money contributed to your salvation. So, so there was someone yeah. who financially invested in an imperfect, flawed institution, because there is no perfect institution on earth with perfect leaders. Absolutely. And those people, they, they contributed their tithe because they knew it was returning it to mm-hmm. God. Yeah. And they did it unconditionally because, you know what, God does great stuff through imperfect people. Yeah. And then you say, well, I'm going to just use the tithe discretionarily. Wait a second. <laughs> if that was the disposition of people who supported the mission before you, guess what? There would have not have been an organized church to reach out in, a, in, Absolutely. A, in a, an effective way yeah. to save our souls and there's more to it there's more that i can argue in this in the favor of, of returning tithe to the church as a lay person um i completely concur with everything you've just said like yeah. that's that's one of my hobby horses as well um and i feel like it gives it a little bit greater weight as a lay person recognizing that people are faulty and broken and they've been given a place in leadership mm-hmm. um and we need to not try and correct them by not bringing our store their ties to the storehouse but pray for them because in so doing we will grow through the process and Absolutely. God can then work in and through them all the more. And when you pay tithe, you're invested. 
yep. and you care more. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Truth. That's where your heart yep. will be. And you'll put more effort into helping and blessing mm-hmm. and loving your leaders to help if they're maybe in error in some respective way. But I say if the institution, if the organization is still founding its system, if the system is still founded on the fundamental truths of Scripture, then it's then you know you need to support it financially yeah. and... If you deprive it of tithe and then you get a leader that you approve of, there's no financial resources for that leader to, to, function, to utilize <laughs> yeah, and to function with. You know, yeah. we're a body, man. We're a body, mm. and and we function together and we we, we succeed and fail together. Yeah. And we need more loyalty, mm-hmm. I'd say, uh, to the church. Yeah. Um, you can be a loyal opponent to certain projects and initiatives and whatever, even individuals, ministries. But if you see that this is the church of yeah. the living God, man. It's where you pay your tithe, I'd say. And this this reflects your respecting the church simultaneously acknowledging that the people are imperfect, but that's okay. Yeah, Because exactly. God uses imperfect people. And yeah, and yeah it's, it's pretty cool. So much that can be said, guys. We, we just want to thank you for hanging out with us mm. and listening to the thoughts that, that we wanted to share with you. Um, yeah. I'm always appreciative. My friend Brad, he takes his time. He's a busy guy, elder of a local church, Sabbath school leader, um, husband and uh, passionate soul winning minister in the community and I think it's important that leaders respect those who intercede on their behalf and the church membership because we are a nation of priests yeah. and when we do communion guess what we do we wash each other's feet meaning that the, the division president the union president someone needs to be Jesus to them at times yeah. and uh, they're Jesus to others and we should all honor each other in that sense yeah. and we all feel positions of responsibility and trust at times but it's never from a place of like I'm above you it's mm. from a place of I'm assigned now to serve you and to, to help you and assist you and, I, and my yeah. authority is only derived from the body yeah. of believers it's, not, leadership. it's not a papal it's not a papal hierarchical system right. it's a representative system that has order and organization mm. um, and we all respect each other in it which is really important mm. Praise God. Let's pray. Yes. God, thank you for the word. Please help us to stay in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.